Good morning, fellow redeemed. Uh, The text for our consideration is the eighth chapter of St. John's Gospel, beginning there at the third verse. St. John writes, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We pray. O Lord, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. I just have to feel that i got to point out the obvious right away this morning. Not only did the chaplain allow me to preach on Valentine's Day, but then he was so nice to me, he gave me a text on adultery. So I would like to, I'd like to thank him for the opportunity to be up here today. Has someone ever cheated on you before? Maybe it was in high school. Maybe it's been while you were here at this college. Maybe it was by the person that you thought you were going to get engaged to and even marry. Maybe it happened to you while you were married. And for those of you who haven't been cheated on or betrayed in some intimate relationship like like dating or marriage before, the chances are you have been betrayed in a relationship before, whether it was with gossip or slander or something else. When that happened to you in that relationship, how'd you feel? My guess is hurt, angry, wanted to hold a grudge, you were filled with hatred. And chances are you probably felt in some way, shape, or form something like this physically. Sick to your stomach. As if somebody, that other person, had pulled out a knife and was stabbing your heart repeatedly. And then, and then when you thought it was finally about over, they took their hands, they ripped open your chest cavity, and they tore out your heart only to start all over again and again and again. If this is something like, even anything like a feeling, if you've ever been in that situation, if you've ever been cheated on, if you've ever been betrayed by somebody you trusted and loved before, Why in the world are we okay with turning around after that's happened to us and do it to somebody else? 
like we consistently do day in and day out in our sinful thoughts, words, and actions that we commit against those around us. And so often, the people so close to us and the people we say we love the most in our life. We don't want somebody to do that to us or make us feel that way, but we seem to have no problem doing it to them. And we certainly don't have a problem taking and ripping out the heart of our triune God and cutting it up with the many sins that we commit in thought, word, and deed every single day. God gives us everything that we need for this body and life. And like the Israelites of old, we go, as the writer in Judges says, we go a-whoring after other gods. Our sinful nature loves to prostitute itself out to all the things this world has to offer. The quick high, the bottle to numb the senses and the pain, the meaningless Tinder hookup just so we can get over that other person that hurt us or betrayed us or cheated on us. Folks, God gives us everything we need every single day of our life. And we so often go a-whoring after other things and prostitute ourselves to the things of this world, thinking that those empty gods this world offers are so much better. We love to follow our sinful, adulterous nature. Speaking of adultery, the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman who was caught in the act of sexual intercourse with someone who wasn't her husband. And it was so often the case. They walked in before Jesus as he was teaching a group in the temple just reeking of self-righteousness, a sin that the chaplain looked at on, on Monday in his devotion. Now, yes, this woman had been caught in the act of adultery, but... They knew better. They knew that Moses in Leviticus and Deuteronomy had said that the man, the other half of this adulterous relationship, he also was supposed to stand judgment as well, but they chose not to bring him along. And then, then they made this poor woman appear before Jesus in this large group of people he was teaching in the temple. A ridiculous act of utter humiliation that was unnecessary. But see, these supposed spiritual leaders, they didn't care about this woman's soul or her life or her eternal well-being. They were so filled and so driven by their sinful pride and their self-righteousness. They didn't care about her. They were worried about laying a trap. They had appeared this day before Jesus because they thought that they could trick the Son of God because they didn't see the Son of God. They only saw the Son of Mary. And they were convinced this time they were smarter than him. There was no way he was going to get out of this trap. Because this time the trap revolved around what the Jews classified as one of the three gravest sins, adultery. And this trap, it didn't have just one or two, but it had three ways that Jesus was going to hang himself. Number one, during his earthly ministry, Jesus had earned the reputation of friend of sinners. And if he now was going to go according to the law of Moses and say that she was worthy of death, he was going to lose the love and the following of the sinners and these great crowds that came out to hear him teach and preach. And the friend of sinners, he would be no more. And, and if he said that she was worthy of death, number two, 
Well, then he was speaking contrary to Roman law. Because Roman law said that only a Roman official had the right to pass it, execute the death sentence. And so now, if Jesus was going to say she was worthy of death, well, he would be a criminal in the eyes of Pilate and Caesar. But see, they were so much smarter than Jesus, because even if that wasn't enough, there was a third way he was going to do himself in. If he even dare think about pardoning this woman caught in adultery, if he even dare think about it, that meant he was going to tell these people in the temple, mind you, where he was teaching at the time, that they didn't need to follow and obey the laws of Moses. That the Son of Mary was greater than God's greatest Old Testament prophet. How could they lose? So what did Jesus do in this seemingly winless situation? Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Now, we don't know why Jesus did what he did here. Some have speculated he did this as an act and ignored them intentionally, hoping that they were going to repeat what they were saying so that they would finally come to and get what they were doing and realize that their motive was not pure. Some have argued that we should really focus in on the word here to write in the Greek. Because the word to write here in the Greek of this context, it means to write down a record of charges against someone. And so were these people standing there, getting ready to throw stones at this woman and all now just standing there in utter fear because they were watching Jesus write out their secret sins they thought nobody else knew about? We don't know. What we do know is this. Jesus raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Now, we have to understand the word here in the Greek, without sin. The word without sin here literally means without sin and without sinful desire. Now, knowing that background of that word, how, if you were not there or I wasn't there, how would we not do the same and drop our stones and walk out of there because we knew we couldn't throw them? So much for a foolproof, uh, full, foolproof plan, right? And then Jesus went on, and he looked the woman in the face, and he said this. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, please do not think that Jesus was making light of this woman's sin, that it wasn't some big deal. It was. But it was no lesser or greater than the man's sin, who was the other half of this adultery, or the sinful pride and the self-righteousness of the Pharisees, the scribes that were here, or, or your sin and my sin. Sin is always serious. But what we have to understand is what Jesus is actually doing here. Jesus was deferring the sentence for this sin and all this woman's sins. How could he do that? Well, the answer lies in the irony of the scribe and Pharisee's plan that they thought was so great. 
Their plan against the son of Mary may have been idiotic, but what they didn't realize at the same time, it was actually prophetic when it came to God's son. God's son didn't just earn the title friend of sinners because of his teaching. No, he embodied the title friend of sinners in every thought, word, and action he did as he lived a perfect life for every sinner. God's son never taught contrary to God's law that was given through Moses. But rather he completed it and fulfilled it perfectly for this woman, for you, for me, for all sinners. So that we could see and hear this woman here before Jesus be told that she would receive true and lasting forgiveness from God himself. So that you and I, even though we go a-whoring and prostitute ourselves out to the things of this world, we can be assured that we have the true and certain forgiveness from God himself for all those things that we've done wrong. And then, and then after Jesus had done all of these things, then God's own son willingly let himself become the worst criminal for her, for you, for me, for all people. And so when Rome looked, when Pontius Pilate looked at Jesus on Good Friday, they saw one thing. They saw the worst criminal. And then according to Roman law, Pontius Pilate passed and executed the proper death sentence. A horrible, cruel death on a Roman cross. And Jesus did all of that willingly even endured hell itself so that when he rose on Easter Sunday, he would forever be the friend of sinners, the prophet greater than Moses, and the victorious Christ. He endured it all so he could look at this woman who had been beaten down unnecessarily in this way, and he could assure her as he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Folks, I want you to understand, and I pray you believe what I say here. By faith, you are. You are already a redeemed child of God. The payment and punishment for your sin, it's not in deferment. It has all been washed away and been taken care of by the blood of Christ. And so no matter what you have done up to this moment as you sit here today or you're watching online, it does not matter what you have done as you went a-whoring after the things of this world or what you have prostituted yourself out for or to in this world. By faith in Christ, you can walk out of this temple with the same assurance, certainty, and hope that that woman in this text left the temple with that very day. Your Savior doesn't condemn you. He was condemned for you. And in the same way, in the same way that he took his finger and was writing on the ground, your Lord and Savior now takes his finger and he writes his name on your heart through water and word. And he continues to write his name on you every single day on your heart through his means of grace. You truly are his own. And he now gives you and me the strength and he gives us his power 
so that we can now go and so that we no longer need to sin like we have up to the point before we came here this morning. Praise be to him in all glory. Amen. Please rise. This week, Kath Smith, the mother of our student Ben Smith and recent graduate John Smith was taken to her heavenly home after a battle with cancer and so we offer a prayer for the family. Uh, her funeral will be tomorrow in New Ulm. Let us pray. O gracious Father in heaven, uh, we come before you with heavy hearts on behalf of the Smith family. And be with them and comfort them with your grace and compassion in these trying days. And grant them wonderful memories of your servant as they continue to bear the fruit of her Christian guidance and love in their daily lives. Give us discerning hearts to see the passing nature of this life and the importance of possessing saving faith in your Savior, who has died and risen again to defeat death, that we might join the blessed reunion of your saints in glory. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. We sing the hymn.